we can't undo what's been done. We can only look at 2017 and think about what we might do to make it better. Welcome to Foreign Policy. I'm David Rothkopf, CEO and editor, and you're listening to the ER. I'm in Washington today, and we're joined by FP columnist Julia Yaffe, who also writes for Highline and will be joining The Atlantic in January. Also joining us is Keith Johnson, FP's deputy managing editor for news, and calling into the studio from Palo Alto is FP columnist Corey Shockey, a research fellow at the Hoover Institution, where she focuses on military history. Thank you again to our dedicated ER nerds for continuing to submit ideas for episodes. Tell you what, instead of suggestions about future episodes, this week and next week we're talking about the best and worst things that have happened in 2016. If you have suggestions, send them to us. And if they're really, really good, we'll acknowledge them in the podcast at some point. Maybe you'll get a mug. We can never be sure about that. Recently, in our tiny podcast studio, high above Washington's DuPont Circle, and from Palo Alto, we had the following conversation. So, welcome back, Corey. You look back at 2016. You set aside Aleppo, Syria, human tragedy, the Horn of Africa, Duterte being elected and proclaiming himself a murderer and hoping to get credit for it. Trump, Putin, the hack of the election, the death of truth, the appointment of the most incompetent, plutocratic cabinet in American history. Uh, Great year. Tell me what you're savoring about 2016. I think there are several good things in 2016. First, uh, I would put the Colombian peace treaty Colombia has managed to navigate an insurgency. They've shown a model of successful counterinsurgency and done it by democratic means and and with the building of broad support for a stable peace. I think that's a huge achievement. Uh, second on my list would be a newfound appreciation for civil society as a restraining force on government. I'll grant you this is a very recent trend, <laughs> but I think it's really important um, that, that Americans are grappling with concern about our government's powers, whether it is President Obama's counterterrorism policies or the the number of things being done by executive order and thinking about how do we as a society mobilize as we traditionally have to be a restraining force on our government. So that would be number two for me. Number three would be the start of a conversation about social media responsibility. That is, you know, Facebook having to, uh, despite its many denials that it's not a media company, they have to start thinking about the responsibility they bear for propagating fake news and how to balance that against censorship concerns. So that would be number three, uh, the beginnings of grappling with the way social media are democratizing responsibility for, uh, for information. Fourth, and I'm only half doing this to troll you, David, is the mania about Hamilton the musical, because I love the dynamic way culture 
re-engages us with our history and our values. And I know you hate it, David, and you think it was mediocre. No, no, but, I don't but hate it. I, actually, I think it was you know, mixed. I was reading the poet Robert Pinsky's book on democracy and poetry, and he has this one great passage that I have really been thinking about a lot since the presidential election. Pinsky says that American culture, as he has experienced it, is so brilliantly and sometimes brutally in motion that standard models for it fail to apply. And and I think about like that's what's going on in our politics, this shaking of the cage because people are unhappy with the functioning of of the American government and their inability to control it. And Hamilton, the musical, she's a wonderful model for for brilliant and brutal rethinking of American culture, and that's our saving grace in culture and in politics. That's for sure true, by the way, about Hamilton, folks, and we may want to touch upon this, but Hamilton was transcended this year by other cultural development. Clearly, the big cultural development of 2016 was... Well, the most important thing that happened was the Cubs' victory. Okay, that's ridiculous. Turn off his microphone. Next. (laughs) What Um, was the big cultural development? I would actually say it was Leo DiCaprio finally winning an Oscar. Oh, my God. (laughs) Okay. Okay. But seriously. It uh, was clearly Lemonade. (laughs) It was clearly Beyonce's Lemonade, which was groundbreaking musically in terms of her voice, in terms of making a a long-form video that really had artistic content, in terms of giving us strong female role models. I I would actually, um, also on the cultural front, in... um, you know, the part of the world I pay attention to most, you know, after a year in Twitter (laughs) too soon. (laughs) (laughs) Um, After, you know, after a year in which uh, several high ranking Russian officials were uh, very publicly arrested for bribery charges in what is starting to look more and more like a purge of the top upper echelons of the Russian government. I should have said that last week. Because Putin's not satisfied with $85 billion. <laughs> and And with, you know, 80-something percent approval ratings. But um, the w- two bright spots, I would say, and, you know, they're, like, not very bright spots. They're, like, you know, slightly, like, glowing embers in this, like, shit pile. Um, is, uh, I don't pa- think that metaphor works. Jim. No, it doesn't. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> It's been a rough week. um, But but a bad metaphor is a great way to look at 2016. So I think calling this episode Glowing Embers in the Shit Pile of 2016. (laughs) 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 We can't even make metaphors anymore. It's been such a bad year. Um, But uh, the artist, the performance artist, Piotr Pavlyansky, who uh, set the doors of the FSB headquarters on fire and stood in front of them in this amazing kind of visual, who was arrested and at one point disappeared and then put into a psychiatric institution, which, you know, reminded people of the good old days of the Soviet Union. But he was acquitted and let go. And again, that's what I mean by, you know. That's a culture, good positive cultural yeah, development. Yeah. But wasn't there another positive cultural development on this front, which was that they changed the acronym for the FSB back to the Stalinist era acronym for the... Secret Service? The NKVD? No, they just no. opened a restaurant in Moscow called the NKVD. No, no, that was a different thing. They, there was, they've, I, I thought they had changed the acronym 
for part of the intelligence service back to a Stalinist era acronym? No, they they basically they've consolidated a lot of the security establishment under the FSB and have created a new National Guard that's supposed to basically put down protests should they happen. Wait, sorry, that was should have been last week. That was <laughs> no. Well, this is progress for the Russian people. They're more secure today. Thank um, God. Um, and uh, one thing I did want to say, another thing that I thought was actually um, a silver lining in the shit pile. I'm just going to continue to mix my metaphors. Wow, silver <laughs> lining in the shit pile. Um, was actually that, you know, we saw the rise of the alt-right this year um, growing. Where's this going? Well, first, first, I'm, first I'm describing the shit pile. <laughs> oh, I see. Okay. You'll see. Um, yeah. You know. And? Contrast. Um, but the way that it forced Americans to talk about race again in a serious way and to think about, again, what it meant to have the first black president um, and— I'm what? not convinced. The way no, they, they forced that, Americans to have, talk about it in a serious way and they said, no, seriously, I don't <laughs> like black people. No, but I think for a lot of people, I think— Honestly, uh, I think there was a fear among certain people in the black community around 2008 that people would think by, that by elect, electing a, the first black president, they would think that's it. Racism is solved. We're in a post-racial society. What more do you people want? And I think it's, it's made a lot of people kind of grapple with this issue again in a, in a real and forthright way. And this, I think that's a good thing. This could actually be the indirect winning answer to this question because – a year like 2016's best benefit may be forcing us to take a realistic view of the world, and, and that may that may be positive. Keith, I actually do have I have Mr. A, they, as he's known in the newsroom, Mr. Sunshine, Mr. Sunshine. Um, I have a, a, a short list of happy uh, sunshine and, in the pile that, of shit. Yeah, <laughs> sunshine in the pile of shit. Yeah, it's, it's like my waffles this morning. Uh, no, no. The uh, and the Cubs actually aren't on that list, as everyone knows. That's that's not a good thing to have happen. So that was just a joke. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the the first thing uh, that actually is cause for optimism. It might be a little bit geeky, but um, 2016 made clear that uh, economic decoupling is happening, and I mean that we finally it's been been trending that way for a couple of years. But there is now a divorce between economic activity and uh, greenhouse gas emissions. And it's one of those things that's kind of easy to overlook with all the rest of every element of humanity collapsing around you. But this could actually be one of the things going forward that's really interesting because you could continue, assuming we figure out how to get economies growing again. You could get economies to grow without contributing in a straight linear fashion to the destruction of the planet. So as long as we can survive these next few years and the gutting of Paris and EPA and Tillerson – we have an actual chance to to make economic and environmental progress go hand in hand. That's a pretty good one. And that's it for me. That's the whole list. Wow. That's a fantastic one though. No, it's a it's a really really good one. Corey, what made you happiest in 2016? <laughs> uh, it... most of most of the things that made me happy in 2016 had nothing to do with with governance or foreign policy. Um, so, so I can't answer the question directly, but I do have more things on my list of good developments in foreign policy. One would be that American allies are getting serious about burden sharing in part because they're terrified of the recklessness of our new president about allied relations. But we have allowed over about the last 25 years to accrue to the United States, uh, too much responsibility for outcomes 
security outcomes in allied countries. And we're long overdue for a rebalance on that. And allies are getting serious about it now that they see the backlash of recklessness in American political leadership. And I think that's a good thing. We're overdue for that. Um, the continued dynamism of American innovation is a great thing, that it's the engine of our economy and the intellectual capital that gets generated by having a university system that draws some of the world's most talented and innovative people to the United States. And if we could find better ways to, um, to deal with a whole lot of whole host of immigration issues to make that more dynamic for our economy would be great. But the dynamism of innovation in this country continues to be our saving grace and was a great thing in 2016. And not just that the kid who attached a fire breather to a drone to cook Thanksgiving turkeys. But, but that the was general, good. That was a good, that was, that was a good video. Yeah. <laughs> it was a good video. And the last thing I would say is the, on my best list, is the continuing delegitimization of authoritarianism in Latin America. That you saw it in Argentina, you saw it in Venezuela. You mean because it moved to North America? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, David. I was grasping for good stuff. I love that. I, I was like, where is she going with this? Oh, Latin America. Yeah, I guess, okay. yeah. <laughs> you take away Venezuela. Right? Yeah, yeah, and that's true. And global warming means you can buy thinner socks, right? So what? what as we're scr scratching our heads, trying to come up with more, what, what made you happy this year, Julia? Maybe some of the things that are going on good in the world that we ought to be paying attention to aren't technically in the area of foreign policy, but actually affect a I lot of people. Great, I had some great Wine last night. It was Wine, good. Yeah, it was still 2016. The Austrians made me happy by, by defeating Norbert Hofer. Barely. 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 But, you know, they did. And, you know, we're, we're, you know, grasping at straws. At least maybe the Austrians learned something, you know. Oh, yeah. Well, also, I love if there was ever a group of people that had some lessons to learn. Well, I've also I've also but loved it. But, Julia, yeah. you need to swing bigger. The Austrians, with all their complicated history, may prove to be the stalwarts that the place where populism begins to be ebbing in in liberal democracies yeah. wouldn't that be a great that thing that would be so great yeah, that would be really not great that's happen go go on <laughs> you're forgetting the french election Corey. <laughs> so i see you the point david yeah, yeah go on something else or we're going back to the um, bottle of wine i got i got what um, kind of wine was it <laughs> It was a Rhone blend from uh, Paso Robles in California. It was great. Nice. See? Um, you should not be drinking 2016 wine already. No, it's not 2016 I say it's wine. California. It wasn't okay. 2016 wine. I was saying that I had the wine and it was still 2016. So it counts okay. as like a good thing that happened in 2016. Okay. Keith, come on. Something good that happened that you might just draw a bigger trend out of. Wait, the conviction of the guy who killed that uh, British MP? The, oh, yeah. That was great. The they right wing maniac. Yeah. Dylan Roof. He yeah, got convicted. Dylan, Dylan Roof conviction. Convicted. I mean, if we're yeah. going to this level, Some yeah. bad guys being convicted is a is a great thing. There are probably some television shows that should have been canceled that were. I, um, 
There's nothing. I can't come up with anything else. I got nothing for you okay, here. Okay, we're done. 12 minutes into the podcast. Yeah, that's really pretty fantastic. No, I can, actually, I could make a, a, a one tiny little uh, wonky point, but it's also an interesting one. Uh, and this just happened uh, within the past month or so, uh, is the cost of solar power has now fallen below the cost of wind power. Which in most places is already cheaper than save all fossil those, fuel. Save all those bald eagles' lives. Well, I mean, yeah, the solar's got a lot more uh, deployability than than wind does. And the, what it, what's interesting to me about this? First of all, it's been the holy grail since what the seventies to get renewable energy that was actually cheaper than traditional energy, and that seems to now finally be happening. And this is the kind of you know barricade against policy changes that could move all of this in the wrong direction. However. The biggest policy change that could move this in the wrong direction is what? Rex Tillerson. Interesting, but no. It's rising U.S. interest rates yes. that push the dollar up, that push the price of oil down, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, but that, that doesn't have any impact on, on solar, though. But no, the falling price of oil doesn't. No, no. So, so oh, oh, there's no there's no overlap between any of your your LCOEs on solar, wind, and oil. No, that was a, that was in the '70s when we had direct you know oil on on you know coal competition. Yeah. And then it was a proxy, but that hasn't been true for you know oil does not impact the competitiveness of renewable energies. Oh, so well, maybe it should. We could have a discussion right. about that right. um, because it suggests inflexibility in the marketplace that ought not to be there. But that's positive. That's that's positive. And, you know, Keith, it shows a lot of creativity um, in in that, Corey, didn't the global economy grow this year, albeit slowly? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The U.S. economy kind of grew. US. And unemployment is low in the United States. Yes. For now. Good. For now. But Although participation perhaps, is too. Yes. That's where I was going. Keith. Oh, thanks, guys. Although, you guys are not be- cheerful. It's Christmas time. I, here's an, okay, okay. cheerful. Okay. You can say Merry Christmas again. Oh. Yes. The war. Christmas has won the war. Yes. Oh, that's great. That's anti-Semitic. Fantastic. Well, okay. You're welcome. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> it's Christmas and Hanukkah okay, wait, wait, in the wait, same 24-hour period. I've got a good Christmas and Hanukkah I, I, will touch each other this I year. I think Corey has. Sorry, go on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can think of a good one. Yeah. The European Union extended sanctions on Russia. Yeah, that's a good Over one. Russia's invasion of Ukraine and capture of Crimea. Wait, I can think of and another good one. The Italians and the Dutch uh, faltering, the EU still managed to extend sanctions. And that's a really wonderful thing. Yeah, that's a little bit like the one that I'm thinking of, which is that gravity didn't end and we didn't all float into outer space. (laughs) I just realized we forgot the coup in Turkey last week. Oh, yeah. The coup Uh, in Turkey. Yes. Erdogan, he's a headache. Except Mike Flynn cashed in, made some money on it. Right. That's going to make him, you know, following the logic of the election, less dependent on outside money and enable him to be more independent. In fact, let's take that a step further. We've put into place the richest cabinet in American history. What's the net worth now? $10 billion? Ten, Approaching $10 billion. They can't be bought. Okay, this is great for America. If if there's anything we've learned about really, really rich people is at some point they realize they have enough money. Yeah. And they just stop. (laughs) They just stop. They're like, like, I'm I'm full. How many couches do I need? 
How many gilded uh, is toilets? That a, is that a I took her furniture shopping joke? It, oh, <laughs> forgot about the furniture shopping. That's a nice reference back. By the way, yesterday, did you guys notice the stories in the papers that I read, like the Daily Mail, that Donald Trump is thinking about appointing as the head of the National Endowment for the Arts, Kanye. Sylvester Stallone? <laughs> that just makes him more and more like Putin. You know, Steven Seagal is taken by Putin, so you need... Steven so Seagal. Sly. The fact yeah. that Steven Seagal is taken by Putin, also good news. Great, he got Russian citizenship. <laughs> He's Win. out of America. Win for America. <laughs> oh, wait, and Pamela Anderson is also evidently considering Russian citizenship. Oh, God. So, so twofer. Wow. Wow, the Russians are getting all okay, the stupids. David, wait a minute. We're exporting minute. our stupids. Yes. Wait a minute, David. Yes. Do I get no credit for knowing a trivial bullshit celebrity piece of 20th century knowledge? That is fantastic. I, you know, I was Aren't thinking that you know you were going to go and say in the 1860s, Ada Menken was the leading star of her time, playing Mazeppa as she rode bareback up. <laughs> <laughs> which, by the way, is true. I, I can. Just, I once wrote a screenplay about Ada Mencken, which I actually sold, but it didn't get produced. Um, <laughs> I'm more surprised that it's sold. I'm sorry. Wow, <laughs> that's really hurtful. I'm sorry, I needed Wait, the look, money. Can I just? Yeah. Can I just um, quibble with the? Um, I, I maybe feel like, given the way this year went, we should have just done the 20 worst moments of 2016 <laughs> split into two podcasts, because what are we filling the time with now? Uh, but one thing I have to say, the other silver lining in the shit pile is that um, my generation uh, has suddenly been forced to, like you said, have a more realistic view of the world and realize that certain things that we grew up with and learned to take for granted, like Europe, whole free and at peace, like you know, America's place in the world, all this, you know, why a robust American foreign policy matters. I think we we have now been forced to understand, even American democracy, we have now been forced to look at it squarely in the face and say, these aren't things that are just, it's not mana from heaven. These are things you have to think about and be educated about and, and work, work hard for, for and work for. Yeah. And that it doesn't just exist on its own, that these things... Um, can't be taken for granted. Otherwise, they'll disappear, which well, they I might think, be doing now. I, no, but I think certainly Brexit and Trump and the Columbia referendum and all of those things, if there's one message that they deliver, it's don't take stuff for granted. Yep. And that if that's the takeaway, if people don't take stuff for granted, it may actually produce engagement, activism, awareness, and a whole bunch of other positive things. I'm, I'm honestly, we're going to end this podcast in four minutes because, frankly, it should be the shortest podcast of the year because it was a really not the best years as far as the news goes. But the reality is the news tends to cover what's bad. And, you know, let's look at the year. GDP globally was up. Um, more, you know, people got jobs in places like the United States. Science made progress with new innovations and in health science and in information technologies. We have at the end of the year more little drones test delivering packages than we had before. Cars are more efficient. We are finding new ways not to pollute the atmosphere. There are still – I mean democracies are dysfunctional, but they're still democracies. 
Um, ISIS, by the way, no one has mentioned this, but we seem to have made some progress beating yeah, up on back ISIS. In Palmyra. Well, they are back in Palmyra, but and they're never going to go away. But the point is, did we make any progress yeah. against them? I think we made some progress against them. You know, there are some, you know, some positive things have happened. You feel any better, Keith? No. Ugh. So I feel like this moment is sort of like looking at a stock market graph, right? The slope of the line is undeniably positive, but the wild swings and variances on a day-to-day basis mean that people aren't experiencing they don't have a sense that things are getting better because the turbulences and variance are so unnerving along the way. Well, so here's the, here's the thing. The question I get most asked when I go out and give talks, um, which for some reason I do on a fairly regular basis, is what can I do about it? And the answer that I tend to give is do something. Do anything. Make a difference for one person. There is an old saying that, you know, you change one person's life and you change the universe. You do for them. And so there is an opportunity to actually do something in response to all of this. We're talking about a terrible year is not the end of the story. It's the beginning of the next story, and it's up to us to figure out what to do with it. If you had a dollar to give to a charity or to a cause, Julia, and it's Christmas time, and we started out this year with our assertion we had 11 listeners. And now we know we have 55,000 subscribers or some number of subscribers, which is a good thing because the more people who listen to this, the smarter the entire world becomes. Um, But so there's a lot of people out there. And if you were going to say, look, it's Christmas, do one good thing, what would you advise them to do? Uh, If it's a monetary thing, I would say give money to something like relief for Syrian refugees or Syrians in Syria or people who are crowding in camps in Jordan and Turkey and Lebanon. Um, Those people need, they have needed our help and they still do. Okay. What would you do? Uh, I would give it to uh, early childhood nutrition uh, programs often run in conjunction with schools, but there's an awful lot of young kids, kindergartners and and, uh, elementary school kids uh, who who not only require subsidized nutrition, but whose meals are literally on the budgetary chopping block now. And I think that's sad. Corey. I love both of those ideas. Um, and I would add, pay money for good journalism. Yay. You mean subscribe to foreign policy? Is that what you're getting at? <laughs> that too. <laughs> 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 there's there's no reason not to do that. But here's what here's what we can say. 2016 had a lot of bad stuff happen in it. 2016 was a, a, a year in which, while the trend line may have been up, there was a lot that could have been dispiriting. We can't undo what's been done. We can only look at 2017 and think about what we might do to make it better. But – If you act quickly, you can end 2016 on a good note. I guarantee you, if you do what I'm about to suggest, you will feel better. And that is, as soon as you're done listening to this, go do something good for somebody else. Because if you do, whether you give a dollar or go to a shelter or help somebody you know who's having a problem, you'll feel better about the end of the year 
they'll feel better about the end of the year. And we might end on an up note after a pretty crappy year. We hope that after you do that, you'll still see a reason to come back and join the cynics here at the ER uh, week after week in 2017. Uh, We look forward to that. Have happy holidays. And we will be back to you all very, very soon. You have been listening to Foreign Policy's The ER Podcast. I'm David Rothkopf, and I've been your host. The program is produced by Maria Ori and Ann Kingston. For more information about FP and to subscribe to this and our Global Thinkers podcast, please visit foreignpolicy.com, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get podcasts. Thank you very much for joining us.